Hello, everyone, and welcome to Enablement Amplified. I'm your host, Fiona Simpson. Welcome to another episode of Enablement Amplified. I am super excited because my guest this week is Alex Weitzel. Alex is not an enablement professional technically, right, Alex? Tell us a little bit about you, your role, where you fall in the go-to-market spectrum, and we'll get into it. Uh, definitely. Hey, everyone. My name is Alex Weitzel. First, thank you, Fiona, for having me on. I'm the marketing manager at a company called Omidim. We are a uh, company that specializes in removing friction from the B2B buying process. And while that is right, I'm not technically an enablement professional. Um, I have experienced with our customers how actually enabling buying and helping buyers buy has really influenced their role as enablement professionals. And it's I'm really stoked about how we've been able to help them. And I'm, I'm excited to get into more about that. And I think it's something that your audience would, would be very interested in hearing. Absolutely. So on that note, Alex, tell us what what if question you've brought for us to dive into today. My what if question is, what if you could enable sales reps to improve their close rates and overall success rates by focusing on actually helping your buyers buy? And there's a lot that is in that's uh, mixed in there, but uh, we can definitely unpack that a little bit. But that's my what if question. I, I think it's an awesome one because I think the conversation for so many people in enablement right now and in selling in general is how do we enable our buyers? How do we follow the buyer's journey and make it about them and not about us as sales reps? So I think this is going to be really exciting to dig into. But let's let's maybe like set the scene. What are you seeing out there as a marketer that's changing in the landscape of our buyers? What's new and different that's kind of causing us to think about this question of buyer enablement and helping our buyers buy? Definitely. So I will take an actually even more of a step back to sure. kind of set the uh, the lay of the land here. So what we've seen, and this has been shown in a few reports, is that you know growth in B two B has slowed down tremendously, and so many people are. I don't think we have to look at reports for that. I think everybody's feeling it as far as who's actually hitting quota or not. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're totally right. But I will cite this one report from from Paddle. They did an index of 34,000 SaaS businesses. And a few of the things that they found is that since 2021, uh, monthly recurring revenue is, is down 50%. Net new sales are down 36%. And customer acquisition costs are uh, up 50%, which is a, a whopping number. And to, to add to that, sales cycles have become uh, longer than they have, I mean, the past five years. And uh, I'll say... What we think is going on and um, what some of these reports are, are are pointing to is that B2B buying has changed and a lot of the companies are still trying to shoehorn their their sales methodologies and their go-to-market strategy that they've used in the past five to 10 years into this new world of buyer-centric purchasing or this new buyer-centric landscape. And it's really costing these companies, as we saw with the customer acquisition cost, uh, a lot of um, money and resources that aren't actually leading to improvements. And so that's why we at Omidim are really passionate about helping the buyer buy and helping them through the sales cycle. And then we think it's important to realign with how buyers are buying today in order to help your sales team be more successful. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And it's a stark reality that I think we just have to accept that you nailed it, right? The way that buyers are buying has changed. So we need to follow suit and we need to update the way that our sellers are selling to meet them where they are. So so kind of on that note, tell us a little bit about maybe some of the pitfalls of the traditional sales process that need to get corrected, I guess is the best word to say. Sure thing. So I'm I'm going to flip that if you don't mind to <laughs> how how buyer preferences have changed a little bit and then how the how that's how we like, meet that you know, where yeah. Yeah, and, and where the misalignment is and what how that's affecting sales. So there's four really big ways the buying has changed that we're gonna hone in on is number one, buyers are doing so much more research independently outside of their engagement with sales teams. There's a stat from Gardner that says 75% of B2B buyers prefer a rep-free experience. Really what that shows is people are looking for more of a consumer-like experience. They want to think about how, how you buy. When you go, when, when you're considering different platforms or even different products, you probably want to go to look at, at the products on your own. You want to go look at reviews. You want to, you want to see how other people have used it. And you don't want to talk to a salesperson necessarily right away. There is a time that comes, but so the, the first, the first thing is that buyers are doing so much more of their research and their evaluation independently. And how that's affected sales is that buyers will not engage with salespeople as often. They're saying we, we can't get as much access to our buyers where we can't do what sellers do best, which is build relationships, build confidence on, on behalf of the buyer guide them to a buying decision and, and even answer those more complex questions, but really just show it gives less influence over deals and fewer opportunities to build value and also mitigate risk from the deal. So that's one way. Yeah. And I think one thing that I'm picking up on there is right. Buyers aren't engaging with salespeople as early in the process as they may have, but I'll throw something out there that we have to think about as well when they are ready to engage. They are ready, right? They yeah. want to go ahead and get this thing done. They've done their research. They've probably made up their mind. Maybe they're looking at a couple of solutions or whatever it may be, but they've really kind of picked what they know from what they know so far from their own research. They've really kind of got the motivation by the time they're ready to engage with a salesperson. They're not just a lukewarm potentially, right? They're hot. They're ready to go. And I think that's something that we have to speed up our process potentially to to get them while they're hot. You know what I'm saying? You know, imagine you, you've, <laughs> you've narrowed down between three different vendors that you're looking to buy from, even if it's one, and you say, okay, I'm going, I'm going to go to their website and I want to, you know, start this buying process. And the only option you have is we'll fill out this request a demo form you're probably going to hear from us within 24 hours. We're going to schedule another call. You'll see a demo in a few weeks. It, it just doesn't align with your timeline. Right. And like, do I, as a buyer, do I really want to sit through two discovery calls? And a, no, like as a buyer, it's funny because I feel like people who are in sales or sale, like anywhere, like we're the best buyers to work with because we're like, listen, I know you have to do your discovery questions. Here's all the information that you need. Here's our budget. Here's, you know, like we're ready to go through the punch list. And it's interesting because I've been actually, I'll, I'll illustrate this with a quick story. Last year, I was involved in a purchase decision for a, a, a tool. 
and we were ready to go. We knew what we wanted. We had to do our due diligence and look at a couple solutions. And one of the solutions that we didn't end up going with that we didn't really want anyway, the sales rep was so not prepared for us to flash forward through the process. He's like, well, you know, I really need to get uh, this other information. And we're like, bro, we know what we're doing because we teach people like you how to do this all day long. Listen to us. Trust us. These are the five questions we need to get answered. Zip it. And, And he couldn't adapt to that. And it really hurt his chances in the sales process, despite all the other factors. If he had wowed us, if he had come at us with the attitude of let me help this buyer buy. It would have been a totally different situation, but we wrote him off right away because he just couldn't roll with our speed. And it's such a poor first experience that you're having when you're talking with and engaging with a company like that. It really does affect your final decision. Totally. And it's not his fault. That's the other thing I'll say. It's not his fault because he was just doing the things he's been trained to do, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. So the second one is that buyers are not following linear buying processes anymore. So in the past five to 10 years, maybe 20 years, sales process has been such a linear, step-by-step, rigid process where, as you said, people used to engage with sales in order to get insight into the product and then start their valuation phase. And when you are building KPIs off of a linear sales process, trying to map how buyers are buying, the forecast becomes incredibly inaccurate because buyers are going fast. It's such a convoluted process and they're doing so many of their buying jobs outside of a domain that you can track to where you're really in the dark. And I'll give one stat as well from one of my favorite analysts at Gardner. His name's Peter Havart Simkin. He, he said 80% of buyers go backwards in the sales cycle more than once. <laughs> and if you don't have a system that can track that, then you're really stuck with only partial information and you're trying to build a for- pipeline forecast up and it's just not not accurate yeah i was on a webinar the other day and jen allen knuth presented a stat that's only 17 percent of the buying process actually involves the salesperson so whatever that's that is, right. the other 83 percent of the buying process happens basically behind closed doors from the sales rep's perspective, right? The buyer is doing a bunch of other things behind the scenes that we're not privy to. And not only that, but they're going to jump around. If we can't see the process, right? That's why it becomes nonlinear. If we can't see the process, we don't know the steps in the order that they're being taken in. That's exactly right. And I have two two things I want to add to that. One is that when you don't, when you don't know where your buyer stands or where they are currently, their process, and yet you as a salesperson are trying to reach with them. You're so often the message is an email or a call saying, Hey, just checking in. I'd like to hop on a call with you and to see where you guys are or if I can offer any help. And that kind of outreach is so close to being almost annoying and frustrating to a buyer versus if you do have a way where you can see what where the buyer stands in their process, then you can provide much more timely and relevant outreach. And the second thing is that your 17%, that is one of my favorite, 17% of the buyer's time is spent engaging with vendors. Imagine if you're one of three vendors, you're getting less than 6% of the buyer's time. And that's just not enough engagement to be able to really influence 
your buyer. Yeah, absolutely. All right, take us through those next two changes, and then I really want to start thinking about how we deal with this. <laughs> cool. I I will kind of rapid fire these ones. The, th- the third one is that buying committees have become much larger. So the, the reports that the average buying committee is 14 members, and obviously you might not be engaging every single one of them, but they all have their say in in buying decision for that company. I'm laughing or sorry, I'm laughing really hard because somebody posted a while ago about like, what's the biggest buying committee you've dealt with? And people were throwing out like eight, 10, 12. This one time I had 18 people on a call. I was part of a deal last year that I had 85 people. I am not even kidding. 85 people had to sign off on this buying decision. Oh my. It was wild. I won't go into the details. I'll tell you some other time. But yeah, it was crazy. It was insane. But it's true. It's just how things are getting done this these days. And it, first of all, trying to get more than like three people or even two people on this on a call at the same time during their work week takes takes weeks. So it took me a month to get a call with two separate individuals and find a time at the same time they're both free. But imagine doing that for 14 people. And how that's affected sales is that it's been really difficult to engage with everyone on the buying committee and then also help build consensus among the group. And and that has just led to extremely long sales cycles. And, you know, each of those members, they're they're thinking about your product in a unique way. They want to know how it affects their responsibility. Like the CFO is going to be worried about the, the pricing. Maybe a more technical person is going to be worried about the integration, how those things work. So it's really been difficult to get, it's like herd of cats, get all of them on the same page. Totally. And I'll, I'll say that the fourth way that B2B buying has changed is buyers demanding that product insight much earlier, especially before they talk with sales. And w- whether that's, you know, maybe putting an inter- interactive demo on your website, or even some businesses have started to do free trials. If you're getting your product insight and forcing buyer to give up their contact information or, or take a few steps before they can see that, build skepticism on the point on, on behalf of your buyer doesn't seem very transparent or, or trustworthy. And I feel like so many websites and stuff these days are so buzzwordy and I'm not making this up. I won't name the company because they're really good people, but I went on a very popular startup company's website the other day because I didn't really understand what they were selling. And I spent half an hour on their website. I didn't want to request a demo because I'm not buying anything. I literally spent 30 minutes on their website trying to figure out what they actually sell. And I still don't know what they sell. And now I'm embarrassed to ask anybody because they're kind of a big deal. And I'm like, what do you guys even sell? And we can't do that. Like, you can't just say, we sell a platform to enable blah, 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 blah. Like, it just doesn't work. We have to say, this is what it does. Here's here's what it is. I love the idea of like putting in an interactive demo on your website because buyers want to see what it is that they're even looking at before they have a conversation about it. And to your, to your website point, those kinds of messages are great for getting a buyer to want to see your product. And, and But if you if you then don't give that to them right when they are ready for it, it just causes friction in the process. For sure. So I'll, I'll just recap then. It's the buying teams have gotten much bigger 14 on the average. Buyers demand product insight before they speak with sales. The 75% of B2B buyers, they prefer a rep-free experience. And then buyers are not taking a linear process anymore. And all those accumulated have caused a lot of challenges for sales to, you know, engage buyers, offer the right support when needed, and really to just 
to short sales cycles as well. So that's that's how B2B buying's changed. And we think, think that sales needs to change their approach to adapt. Did you know that Enablement Amplified is an entirely community-generated podcast? What does that mean? It means that the podcast is fully supported by our members who contribute monthly to help with the costs of running a podcast. If you're interested in becoming a member, simply go to enablementamplified.com and click membership. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Now, let's dive back in. So kind of taking it back to the question, right? How do we enable sales reps to meet these changes? What do we need to change in the sales process to help address it? Yeah, it's it's a great question. Really, it's looking at the data of how buyers are engaging with your company and your products uh, and your content. And really to capture that data, you need to bust open that window of engagement with your buyers, get them to be engaging with you in their learning and evaluation stages in a domain that you own so that you can then capture all of that uh, authentic buyer buyer intent and then be able to offer timely and relevant support and guidance through the sales process. So I don't know about you or, or maybe your listeners, Fiona, but in my case, there's been times when I've gotten to that similar point that you mentioned earlier. I'm really close. I have these two or three vendors that I'm considering. And now I'd like to speak with a human so that I can really fully understand what is the answers to these complex questions that I have, how it's going to help my business in particular, and, you know, talk with someone to help me build my confidence. And we, we believe that by providing a digital and human sales process, you'll be able to, to do that much more effectively. I know that this is something your team focuses on and specializes in. So tell us what you guys are up to, what you're seeing out there in the market as far as these tools to help enable that process, collect that data. Sure thing. So because buyers want to do, they want to act too much more independently and feel like they're in control of their buying process and they don't want to engage with a salesperson right away, really the solution has been proven to work in the last year and a half, two years, is by offering buyers an on-demand self-service experience where they can get the answers and information that they're looking for about your product and service quickly and, and how and when they want to and without any friction of having to first speak with a salesperson. And there's a few ways of spinning up these, I'm going to call them digital channels. There are things called digital sales rooms. There's buyer portals, content portals, and even like deal, deal rooms and deal hubs. But really, it's any shared environment between the buyer and the seller where the, the buyer can go in and get the inf- information that they need when they, when they want it. By doing so, you offer the buyer an experience where they can almost choose their own way of learning about your product. And then on the back end, the sales team is getting all that information about their behavior in this environment that they can use to either build value, mitigate risk, or even know when that, that buyer needs support. So there's there's a few examples of creating that digital first engagement where the buyer can accomplish their jobs and then have the sales team come in where they needed his. Yeah, something that just came to mind as you were saying that, I start to think about when, like literally when does a mm-hmm. lot of this happen? Because if you think about a typical buyer 
They've obviously got their nine to five responsibilities. They've got, you know, things that they're doing all day long. And maybe looking at this new product or service is something that they're doing early, early in the morning before they really start their day. Maybe it's what they're doing at, you know, six o'clock on a Friday evening as they're winding things down. Maybe they're, you know, watch watching their kids soccer game on a Sunday afternoon and sitting there on their phone researching about whatever it is that they're looking to buy. So I'm just starting to think like, how do we meet? Because nobody's, you know, your BDRs aren't going to be sitting on the chat bot at two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. So how do we start to address some of that, even the timing, right, of of when and how we meet those buyers where they are? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm going to answer this in the Omidim perspective. So just for your audience, Omidim, we create buyer portals that are private between the buyer and your sales team where the buyer can go in on their time and search um, through your product content, access recommended things, and learn about your product. What we've seen is that 34% of our customers, buyers, they engage these portals outside of not of business hours. So either at night or on weekends, there's an anecdote that, that I had uh, pr- prepared that one of her customers sent a buying group an access or access to a portal. I think it was on a Tuesday and they didn't get any engagement throughout the week and they're wondering what was going on. And then on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, the uh, two members of the buying committee came in, had access to different parts of the product. And then on that Monday, the sales team, seeing the engagement from the previous day, they reached out to the rest of the team. They were able to fast track that deal. And then I think they had the deal closed by Friday. But wow. really when <laughs> that, that buying committee is engaging on the weekend when like they were the sitting at the soccer game, right? <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. I love that. That's so insightful for the sales team because they could tell exactly what had happened, what were the things that the buying team was engaging with, right? And they could jump on that so quickly. That's amazing that they closed that deal that same calendar week. But it's because they had the information, right? They had the data. And to your previous point that you brought up is the buyer was educated. They said, okay, yep, I've seen enough. I'm, we're ready to move forward. It, t- it checks these boxes that were in my, you know, what I was looking for. And yeah, let's move forward. We have a problem that we want to find a solution for right now. And can't go through a two to three month sales cycle to get there. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. So how, just thinking about buyer data, right? Because yeah. obviously that team jumped on it and utilized the data that they had. How else are sales teams utilizing buyer data when they have access to something like a buyer portal? What are some of the themes in in what they're doing with that information? It's a great question. And there's there's many answers to that. I'll, I'll say a few of the examples of the buyer data that our customers are using. So Omnip has an actual search bar at the top of these portals where you can almost like chat GPT, like just type in a question. <laughs> And then you're presented with the second in a video or line in the document that answers your search query. So in Odom's case, the, the sales rep can see the search queries of mm. the buyer and then also see if an appropriate response was, was given to them. Because for some of the searches, they don't actually have responses. And when that happens, then the, the salesperson knows, okay, this person didn't get the information they're looking for. Let me actually send them an outreach saying, you know, maybe referencing the query that they put in. And it's so much more effective in, in re-engaging with that buyer. 
And not only does that help in that one particular instance to have that data, but if there's the same questions being asked over and over again and there's no resource or asset for that question, poof, product marketing. Hey, we need something on this because this is relevant to our buyers. And again, we're looking at it through the lens of what matters to our buyers and what's important to them, not what do we as a sales team or marketing team think our buyers want to know. Why don't we just find out what our buyers actually want to know (laughs) by asking them? Or giving them an opportunity to show us what it is that they're looking for. I love that. That's awesome. I think it's great. And we've been seeing so much of the traditional sales process when we're talking about maybe pipeline forecast or when this deal is going to close is a lot of taking the buyers at their word, which isn't always a correct indicator of where they stand. Uh, If they say, hey, we're looking to close this in the next three days, um, but you can tell in the portal from the data that the decision makers had to engage at all, then you might be leaning towards relying on the data to show you, that, you know, this might not close when the buyer said that it's going to. But that's just, you know, a small example of using the management data, uh, whether they're a, a hot buyer or if they're really just browsing and, and looking at demos and you know, their engagement has waned a little bit. Um, these are all just different metrics that sales here is able to use to say, okay, we either should reach out to them right now we should help them answer these questions or they were they're really just browsing and you know we can maybe offer a bit of help but let's focus on the more hot deals that, that we should close right now yeah that's awesome so just to kind of take us back out into our what if question what do you see let's say we've solved for this our we've enabled our sellers to meet our buyers where they are we've given them the tools the data that they need to engage in a way that buyers actually feel comfortable with. What does that look like for our sales team? What does that look like for the organizations that we support when we effectively do that? So I I like to think about it as if you're offering a product experience that is scalable that you can give to everybody, from there, sales teams are able to see the different levels of interest and engagement and then really hone in on the ones that are looking to get the job done right away. And then it can really just help them act as a guide and act as a consultant down through the deal and help them reach a, a buying decision that they are confident about rather than trying to inject themselves into the, the buying process randomly. That uh, just goes swings the other way and becomes frustrating for the buyer. So we say engagement insights action. The action is letting the salespeople become more of a guide to the buying decision. When it just seems like buyers having a better experience on the front end of that interaction with that company just leads to better engagement with the company as a whole and a better experience for that customer. Right now that we've gotten them through the door and they're a customer, it seems like we're going to lend ourselves to have more raving fans, more customers that are really supportive of the way we run our business and are are willing to share that experience with their colleagues and, and do those promotion and evangelism type of activities that are really hard to attain. But I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head that if we give those buyers a much more positive experience on the front end and something that's probably refreshing and new for them, we're going to create those lifelong fans, quote unquote, of our business from the jump. Even if they don't end up buying, if they have this really cool buying experience and they end up not buying at that moment, they've already had such a positive interaction that it bodes well for the whole organization, right? 
totally does. I want to add to that a little bit. As a, if you're a customer or buyer of a company's product, you're not only engaging with the sales team. Like at some point, you're going to be handed off to customer success. There's, there's different, there's different roles within the sales organization that you're going to be engaging with. And so many times we set up our go-to-market teams in silos where the responsibility of updating each team about the buyer and where they are in the cycle is, is on the buyer, which is really not a great experience as a buyer. And you're almost, it's almost, you're playing telephone between silos on what the buyer cares about, where they are, what part of your product they're, they're interested in trading a really poor experience. Well, I, I can see how solving for this really has the potential to change not just the interaction for our sellers, and but also just the experience for buyers overall and making this a much more, I hate to say it this way, but like a much more friendly and amicable space because sellers have this bad rap right now, right? They're just hounding people down for deals and, and it's not a good relationship between buyers and sellers right now. And I think this is a real opportunity for us to flip the script on that. So I am so glad that we dug into this because as sales organizations, as revenue organizations, we have to get in front of this. We're probably already behind it, but we have to get back in front of it to be successful. Yeah. You brought something up that I, that I wanted to touch on about, you know, salespeople having basically being part-time calendar managers right now, trying to just fill their, their response with people who have shown engagement, but, you know, they don't really know where they are or if they're still interested and pestering buyers on, uh, let's get back on the phone. Even if it's, you know, it's an interested buyer and maybe you've shown one person of the buying committee a demo already, but you know that there's, there's three or four more uh, folks that are on that buying committee that need to see that same information. It's so difficult to, to keep having repeat meetings and, and to do the same work over and over again, that just elongates the sales cycle. Um, another benefit of having these digital engagements is when you do have your first demo with somebody, that recording you can put into their private portal totally. where everyone else, they, they can spend their weekend watching that on 2x speed and getting the information that they need without having to, you know, wait two weeks until their colleague is free to meet as well. Um, it, it makes the seller's job so much more about selling rather than let's all the things that need to get done in order to engage with your buyer. Yeah, absolutely. That that 85 person buying committee that I was working on that deal for, that was something that we leveraged, right? Because we knew we weren't going to be able to spend the time answering the same questions over and over again. And so we created it through, it was actually through our content management system, like a little mini site that just stored all of the resources specifically for that group of people. Um, and it was really effective. It, it, at the end of the process, they thanked us for that. They were like, this really helped keep the deal on track. People would come to the key people and say, hey, I have this question. And our key people within the organization could go to that mini site and say, here's the resource that you need. So I, yeah, I'm all about it. I, I love it. Such a fine line between this was a frustrating process as a buyer and I have to go we, all, do all these things versus that was a great experience and I actually appreciate the experience that we were put through. I'm going to tie a bow on, on what we were talking about. For companies that do see that with the way that they've sold and, and are still selling the way they have in the past five to 10 years, and they're seeing those sales metrics decline and those growth metrics are, are suboptimal, unsatisfactory, aligning with the way that modern buyers buy is really the strategy that you should go for. And what we've seen our own of customers, they've been able to jumpstart their revenue generation this year. 
at a much lower customer acquisition cost. And that has to do with uh, shortened sales cycles and then also opening their process to buyers who are ready, who are unique in their, in their buying stage, instead of trying to force them all down the same path where you alienate buyers and ultimately force them to navigate their way to other competitors. Just to, to wrap us on up here for today's conversation, I always want to make sure that we are amplifying people across the go-to-market space. So to start with, how can we amplify you? What are you up to? What are the things that you're being challenged with right now? How can we as um, the audience here at Enablement Amplified amplify you? Yeah, thanks, Fiona. So how you can amplify me? Uh, I really appreciate that. So oh, you can go to omidum.com. Uh, we actually are going to be uh, publishing an ebook on the same subject this week. So your audience may have access to that um, at this point when they listen to this. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and, and I post about um, different ways that the traditional sales cycle is is not aligned with how modern buyers buy um, and what they can do to kind of get realigned with, with, with modern buying. And then other people I'd like to amplify Number one, um, the CEO of him, his name is Greg Dickinson. He's uh, incredibly creative and very passionate about this subject. And he comes up with the best analogies all the time. Every week he tells us something new. Just as an example, he came to me and said, uh, Alex, think about Yellow Cab and Barnes & Noble and Blockbuster. They all got disrupted by companies that made it much easier and much more transparent for the buyers to buy their product. Uber just completely took over and net shut Blockbuster down, basically. And Amazon made Barnes & Noble completely obsolete. And they just adapted to how their buyers buy. And we can do the same in B2B. So I'd like to amplify Greg. And then I want to give Fiona a shout out because... Aw, thank you. <laughs> you were such a, a, a sweet person to me, a complete stranger. You were in San Diego for a few days and offered to meet me. And also from then on have given me great resources and introduce me to, to some great online people and resources as well. So I really, and giving me the opportunity to be on your podcast, Fiona, I really appreciate that. And uh, I would like for you to be amplified for, for having this platform. Great. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. I will absolutely be sure to link you, Omidim, Greg, all those folks in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for bringing this awesome question. And can't wait to get this out there into the world and see what people have to say. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for having me, Fiona. And thanks, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and comment on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to our email list at www.enablementamplified.com to get every new episode delivered right to your inbox. As always... Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Fiona Simpson. Take care.